also make a beginning in seeing how to work back and forth. These two work together. Breath is only one of them. It just turns out it's a very useful one, and particularly in our time period. Many of you are not Buddhists. You're not even interested in it. So what? Breath, there's no patent on breath, thank God. You know, so that anyone can feel comfortable with it. It doesn't have any Buddhist content in it. If you have to say a Sanskrit mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, you may feel awkward about that. But everyone's breathing, so it has a certain advantage there. It's also very simple and portable. But it isn't the only way to develop concentration. It's one way. It's one very good way, but not the only one. Okay, yes. Yes, mine too. The only difference between us is that you mind and I don't care. Because I've done it so much. You don't like that answer. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, I understand. But we've, so far, we, no one's been carted away to the emergency room yet of, with that. Yeah. that do you think that's going to happen? Maybe. In other words, meditation could be hazardous to your health. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of answers to that. First of all, sometimes you have to do other things to improve your circulation. There are all kinds of herbal remedies that are very, very helpful for that, and yoga, tai chi, movement. So that may be a, a clue, I don't know, I don't know you. Uh, in my own case it was, and I've been able to help it dramatically. But finally, if you sit still for a long time, your legs may go to sleep. It's all right, it's nothing serious, but the problem is the mind minds it, in other words, you don't want that. So it's, you don't like it, so you're suffering. But if you, what I meant was uh, exactly what I said, my legs go to sleep as well, but it doesn't, it's not a problem for me. It's, not that I, it's just that I've had more experience observing my mind get hysterical because my legs are asleep. And after a while, it calms down. I realize, okay, so your legs are asleep. Not good enough. What, what, what's, what more do we have to, can we do? I don't, no. No, it's just gone to sleep. That's not a, a... Now, if it's a signal of to some physical incapacity that requires medical attention, by all means, you should follow that up. But for most, most people, it, do, it doesn't have much more significance except the circulation is cut down a bit. Okay, you're... Stand up. I would stand up. No, no, I mean... Uh, just work within the limits of what you think is right, and then little by little see, will it have an impact on your health? As far as I know, not. I could be wrong, but it's, and it's been going, uh, stiffness or falling asleep of the leg, and even in ancient instructions, I was reading a translation of a Burmese manual, almost 1,500 years old. People's legs went to sleep then too. Yeah, and it's the same mind, greed, hatred, delusion. I like, I don't like, I'm confused. Yes. We have. Just as a message for a participant here, it's an emergency. Can oh. just Lucia. Tatino. So Tino. Yeah, you have the yeah. Call. Could you? Here's here's the message for you. Okay. Thank you. Okay, we only have a mo few moments left. Uh, I think. Yes. Okay.
you're not really ignoring it. You're not even know. You're just for this part. You're just breathing. Now, when we enlarge it, the the feelings themselves could be examined of the uh, tingling or whatever you however you describe it, and also you would examine, uh, let's say, the the aversion in the mind. The problem: the mind doesn't like it. It's new to it, and it starts worrying and starts getting afraid. Okay. For right now, what we're emphasizing is going back to the breath. This afternoon, I'll enlarge upon that a bit. If something becomes a prob- problematic, even now, it's okay to turn to the mind. I'll suggest how, but I, I just do not get into that yet. Yeah. Uh, just Let me get. That's exactly what I wanted to bring up. Yes. Um, this is all new for me too. Uh, because I'm used to leading retreats, I begin silence very, very early in the morning and late at night. The only talking is you have an interview, typically every day or every other day. Sometimes it is a discussion group. And people have little jobs to help keep the meditation center going. And sometimes a little bit of talk is needed. So uh, this is a different environment for me, too. Um, and I think we can work skillfully with it so that it's beneficial. But I don't feel comfortable in legislating because, for example, some of you are really new, very new, and some of you have been practicing for a while. And so let me just, I've tried to come up with a framework that can take care of all of us. And finally, you'll have to decide. Uh, what I would ask of you is during the morning sessions and the evening sessions that we behave like a regular treat where we really um, treasure the silence, protect it. Now, as the days unfold, I will do less talking and we'll do more sitting. You'll see that. So, little by little, we're gonna, I'm, I'm working intuitively by how you are. I don't. If I had a fixed schedule, what good would that be? You know, squ- squash people into you know like this. Um, but in general, what happens is there'll be less need to say some of the things I'm saying because they'll be part of you and you'll be able to do it. There still will be opportunities for us to talk. Don't worry about that. Okay, but then what do you do when you leave here? Now, I'm just going to give you a sense of the possibilities, and then it's going to be for you to decide what to do. Why do we have these retreats where there's total silence in the first place? Um, There's a tremendous amount of energy that is expended when you speak. You may not realize it until you stop speaking and realize how much energy it takes to talk, particularly if there's a lot of emotion in it or anger or whatever it is. The energy is outgoing. It's going out there. If you stop speaking, your mind can be just totally noisy because you're not speaking. But the whole point is to work with that so that it's forcing you to not use energy in an externalized way, but to use it all for self-examination. Okay. So, so that's what silence does. If you allow a lot of exceptions, for example, That means noon, I take it? Yeah. We'll have to go another minute or two, if that's all right. At the, uh, let's say if the retreat centers that I'm used to teaching at, there's no um, reading, uh, no writing, no, no, no nothing. I mean, if there's an emergency, of course you have to phone. So what we're doing is cutting off all these escapes. They're perfectly good things to do. We're not saying don't read or write for the rest of your life. Just during the life of a retreat, there's a certain value in giving that up for a while 
And then what are you left with when all these, in a sense, escapes are taken away? You're left with yourself. Okay. And that's the whole point. And of course, we're equipped to work with that. So you can accomplish a lot of spiritual, you want to call it maturation, in a shorter period of time if you're willing to, to do it. Okay, so we're here. And this place has a tradition which is also very beautiful. Um, which ha- So that I've already talked this out with people who run it. Uh, the evenings, it's very important. There are other things going on. The cafe is very important. Meeting people, meeting people on the retreat and talking over this practice is very important to people. I don't have a problem with that. Um, so should you speak at meals, for example? Um, the advantage of not speaking is that you can practice mindful eating. That's why half the dining hall will be silent. I'm going to leave that up to you. Uh, I just have to... Yeah. So uh, one possibility is that some of you may want to eat all your meals in silence, period. Okay. Then if you, how would you do that? For those of you who are quite new, you just eat. You know, <laughs> the only thing is, is that now you pay attention to how you eat, and perhaps slow it down a little bit, and you can stay in touch with your breathing to help you do that. As you're breathing, you're eating. You may slow, slowing it down may mean taking a bite, maybe putting your your utensil down on the table or the tray until you finish chewing. So what you're mindful of is the process of chewing, because that's what's happening. But you also can't miss the mind at work. So you're chewing and the mind is liking, not liking. I want more. I hate this. Why don't they have that? I'm glad they have this. Uh, and mindfulness is being in touch with the experience of eating. And then you'll notice, just as with the breath, your mind will be off and running. You'll say, this food is absolutely delicious. And then you'll hardly taste it. You know, just a little bit here and a little bit there. Most of the time the mind is feverish and talking about how delicious it is but it's not tasting it. See, so we're trying to get into direct experience. When it's the breath, can we be intimate with the breath? When it's eating, can you be intimate with food? The whole process of eating. Feeling what it does to the body as you eat. This can definitely have health benefits, of course, including losing weight, if that's an incentive. But that isn't exactly what the Buddha had in mind. Although moderation is part of, of the teaching. So you get to know your relationship to food if you eat and you pay attention. So it's, of course, if you're sitting at a table where everyone is talking, you want to be convivial. You want to laugh and talk, and that's great too. No one's saying this is forever. But do you see the value of at least temporarily uh, doing that? So I'll leave that up to you. If you want to either do one or all or you know, experiment with it and see how it goes for you, now, as for the rest of the day, in the evening, they have all kinds of programs. Some of you who are old-timers, you may uh, want to avoid that. You may want to keep sitting or uh, maintain silence. I think that's fine. But it's also, we can, the practice is so flexible that we can twist it around. So that, let's say there's a dance performance or uh, being in the cafe uh, with friends. Uh, you can still keep practicing because what you're doing now is practicing mindfulness, mindfulness and listening, mindfulness of speech. Uh, in fact, that's a good one. Take that on as a practice. One of the most important teachings of the Buddha is what is called right speech. Speech is a very, very powerful energy, and we don't know much about it. As you start paying attention, it's a very good practice. As you're talking to someone, you hear what comes out of your mouth. It's not always so pleasant to hear what... 
and what comes out of it, some people don't say things and they really wanted to, other people talk too much. Blabbermouths like myself, I get quieter when I pay attention. If you're shy, you may find that it's easier to speak. You'll learn a lot. You'll learn about what kinds of speech is harsh that hurts people, what kinds of speech seems to harmonize. So that's good practice. So then you can enjoy the program here fully and you're still doing insight meditation. Now, on retreats at, at Barry or in Cambridge, we don't do that because we use the whole time for the silent part and then we, when people go home, they do that. But since you're here and it's done this way, you can do what is called an integrated retreat where you're both spending some time in silence most of the day, here I hope, morning and afternoon, and also practicing the art of mindful living in whatever else you do, eating, walking, talking, listening, uh, hearing music, See if you really listen to the music. Uh, can you listen to it as pure sound, just raw sound? But when you watch, you'll see just as with food, the mind will start telling you what's happening. Oh, this reminds me of the concert that I had when I was in, went to when I was in Vienna, and that was a, uh, and you can hear the mind. So it's, again, training the mind to really listen. Uh, so I think all I can do is I've given you some of the options, and it's for you to choose. And I'd be happy to, as part of our discussion, to include talking about correct practice for those of you who are bringing it into daily life here at Omega. Um, that can be part of what we do. And some of you may wish to just uh, simplify your life dramatically for the five days, and I think both of them can be um, valuable. So I'll have to leave it up to you. Okay, I think it's... Uh, we meet at 2.30 here. Uh, please, if you want to come earlier, just come in and just start sitting. So we don't meet tonight, but uh, there will be the hall will be available. Well, we'll, we'll get that'll all be clearer. But tonight, no. In the evenings, it ends at five. Extended what? No, no. Um, Probably because you are. I mean, you know, not intentionally, but it's a, a somewhat. We, I think, we all start that way, or most of us do. But there's a slight uh, modification that you can make that would change things. I think lighten it up for you a little bit. That's if, may I go into that? Let's say you've set for yourself uh, a certain amount of time to sit. Let's say 30 minutes. Whatever you just said. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then after 20, you don't want to, right? Something in you says, enough. Okay. Uh, at that point, there's, uh, let's say, when we... Uh, okay, I think what I'm going to do right now is widen our instructions a little bit uh, to begin to open us up into what will come. I'm not sure about tomorrow. I'd like to go slowly. But uh, certainly some tomorrow and probably 
Wednesday for, for certain. Let's say we're working with the breathing. We are. I mean, that's what we've set for ourselves. Or I have and you've been kind enough to go along with me. Okay. Uh, so the instructions are just be with the breath. In, out, in, out, in, out. Everything else is extra. You're not liking sitting longer. Someone else is uh, fantasizing about being in an air-conditioned movie. You know, all of it. The practice is you see it and you come back to the breathing. In, out, in, out. So all of them from the point of view of this particular practice that we're doing right now, uh, anything that takes you away from the breath is a distraction. You see it and you come back. But we have to modify that somewhat because otherwise it can, sometimes it can be like a war, a civil war, you know, where you're at war with yourself. So if something comes up and is really problematic, often it's something that comes up over and over and over and over again, or it's so strong, whether it's an emotion, whether it's physical pain in the body, whether it's some expectation or comparing it where you are with where you might be, is not, not so relevant. But it's so strong and often repetitive that the truth is you're hardly with the breath at all because it's pulling you away over and over and over again. Okay, so what would be the point of uh, grimly following the instructions? I mean, some, you can if you're very motivated. Eventually, uh, perhaps you come to the same place, but it takes a lot of the joy and also the subtlety out of practice. So you come to a place where you've had enough. Perhaps it's because your body hurts, perhaps it's because there's tiredness, perhaps it's because it's hot. Okay. But yet uh, you have a, a strong survival instinct and you wanna, you're going to endure. So you do it and you did finish, right? It's just that it takes its toll on you. And also what you're doing during the time is the body is there. but where is your mind, you know, and what condition is your mind, okay. So if we can reenact what happened to you, let's say you get to the place where you start to feel it's 20 minutes and you know you have about another, there's perhaps another 15 or 20 to go, and you can um, grit your teeth and tense up and uh, cope with it, you can tough it out, and words like that. That isn't the practice. Step number one would be um, when something becomes problematic like that, then you can still maintain the breathing, but temporarily widen the scope so that what you're taking in now is as you breathe in and as you breathe out, you're noticing aversion. You're noticing strong resistance, like, I don't like the way it feels right now. I don't want to be here. I hate him and his Buddha and his practice. <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting at? Okay, so now temporarily you're widening it and when you experience the mind um, determined, fighting, first of all what comes before that is aversion. It has to. I mean, it, there's, there's been an unpleasantness that precedes your decision to either cope or just you pop up and you're out of here. Right, you, you didn't, some people do that. So typically, you know, there's, uh, there aren't that many choices. One is denial and the family of all those things that are like denial, grim, determined, etc. And the other is, we just give up, throw up our hands and, okay. So this is somewhere in between. You're acknowledging that you really don't want to be sitting, except instead of coping or putting up with or dealing with, 
And we human beings are all too good at that, sometimes uh, too good, where we put up with things that should have been understood and done away with or resolved for years, and we don't. We're, we're capable of doing that. This is a small thing, of course, relatively. So what you're doing here is, uh, instead of viewing your aversion, how much you don't want to be here, and overcoming it, that itself becomes the meditation. What is a, that isn't what happened? That's still different. Yes. Uh, in other words, sometimes uh, wisdom is to get up and leave. Sometimes wisdom is to stop. But I uh, didn't hear it that way. You know. So that, uh, sure, I mean, we're not here to, d to destroy the body. However, uh, uh, do you see what I'm getting at? So if that's the case, then you might have to do that. But what do you do if you're... Um, Okay, in, in certain monastic situations, I'm just thinking of a lot of the training I had, you take a vow to not move, for example. Okay. And uh, that's one way to learn. I don't, it's, it has its strengths and weaknesses, as, as the way we're doing also has. Uh, and typically what happens is, most of the time, you really aren't going to hurt your body. What it is, is the mind is just very, very tender. And the mind uh, starts whining, right? Becomes like, four years old, six years old, tops. And I don't like it here. I just want... Okay, I understand. Well, you know, if enough of you raised your hands, we would have it. <laughs> it's not my fault. I'm, dem I'm very, I believe in a democratic process, at least sometimes. But here's my point. If, uh, even in Japan and Korea, where you have instructions like that, not, not all the time, but a lot, and what happens is, if you have to sit and you don't feel like sitting there, let's take something that I think most of you know all too well from even today, the urge to scratch, right? Don't we all know that one? Okay, now what if you take a, a vow to not move? Okay, you're sitting there with a, as many people like this, and uh, we're all intimidating each other not to scratch because you're embarrassed to do it. Even if you're down deep, of course you want to. So one of the things you learn is you sit there, now, uh, take this, you have an itch, suddenly it starts to itch, and in the hot weather, you know how it can get. Okay. But the instructions are, don't move. So you're sitting there, which what I originally thought in parenthesis, like a fool, and not scratching. You know, you're just sitting there. But what can happen if you work skillfully with it is, step number one, you may just become very grim and tighten up, tighten, stiff-lipped, and go through it. And then the bell rings, and you're so happy but you don't scratch, so you did it. That isn't, it's okay, but that's not really what, that's not correct practice. Uh, correct practice has much more refinement in it. So let's say you're sitting and it starts to itch. And the normal urge for all of us is to scratch. Okay, I can, I can think of one time. It was probably one of the most unhappy, I don't know how long it was, it seemed like an eternity, it was probably about 15 minutes, where I had this incredible itch. I would have given anything, my life savings, just to scratch. You tell me what you want. You have it. Just let me scratch. But of course I didn't. But now I'd had some, some training. So this isn't an exact memory, of course, but it's roughly what, what, what we learn is how to, you see how unhappy you are. You see how hysterical the mind gets. 
Now, after all, finally, all it is is a niche. Do you know what I mean? It's just a niche. I don't think gangrene is going to set in. I don't think we're going to have to cart you away to the emergency room. I don't think anything close to that's going on. It's just an itch. But you know what happens with the mind, right? The mind gets hysterical, an alarm goes off, and we go temporarily insane. Okay. Now, if we can do that to an itch, can you imagine what the mind can do about other things? Being rejected, getting a pay cut, uh, uh, aging, uh, all kinds of things that are happening to us. They're realities, too. And the, so you can learn, in other words, there's a lot of wisdom in just an itch if you learn how to extract the wisdom. What you see, first of all, is how desperate the mind is capable of, of being, and also that it's not always intelligent or objective at all, not even close. Okay, but in order to, to see this, you have to sit with how hysterical you are, how, uh, how desperate the mind can become to want to scratch. So you're not trying to be heroic. See, that's different. You are heroic. I'm a coward. This is not heroic. This is sitting there and seeing how desperate the mind gets. And me the meditation is that desperation. You open to it. You experience, I don't want to be here. I hate this place. He's a bad man. <laughs> Just want ice-cold lemonade. Whatever your mind does. Okay. And as you see it, everything changes. The entire chemistry changes when you stop fighting or overcoming or overpowering or flexing your muscles or getting on your horse with your sword or all those kinds of things. It takes another kind of strength, of course, and patience. And what you're doing is you're very, very closely working with how much resistance you have to what's happening to you or how averse you are to it, how much, how unpleasant those feelings are. Now, is that something that you really want to do? Of course not. So it takes a lot of training. Now, once you learn how to do it, it's extraordinarily helpful. Now, those of you who are really new, you may be looking at me as if I'm crazy. So you have to have a little bit of faith, at least for four or five days. Hang in there. Um, let me go at it, but do, do you see in principle what I'm getting at? And some of you have asked questions about being overly tired or about the heat or about having a lot of pain. They're all the same, or legs being asleep. They're all the same question to me, in one sense, and my answer is the same, too. Um, the Buddha once was asked, uh, what's the difference between the way in which an awakened person experiences physical pain and the way in which ordinary people like ourselves experience physical pain? And he said, for a person who has no degree of awakening, it's like being hit with two arrows. And for a person who has some awakening, it's by like being hit with only one arrow. Okay. Uh, the first arrow we all get hit with, right? In other words, we all itch, we all don't like it. We all are, the sweat is pouring down, we don't like that either. There's an ache in the pain, we don't, in the, in the leg, we don't like that either. It's no fun to be sitting and feeling uh, drowsy and sleepy. So, and you could add on anything you want to. Okay. So we all get that first arrow. There's no way around that. Although some of it, especially the mental, eventually falls away. But the second arrow is what the mind does in reaction to what is happening to us. So that, for example, if you have physical pain, literally what's happening is you have physical pain. There's physical pain in the body, to put it more accurately. But now once the mind gets in on it, this is my pain, once, me, once it gets claimed, this is happening to me, then self-pity comes in. 
poor me, oh, ah, and then it becomes torment. So the physical pain, sometimes there's nothing we can do for the physical pain. No, I'm not saying don't, you know, if there are medicines or all kinds, I'm not saying don't make use of what's available, but there are times in life uh, when we have no choice. Okay. Mo the, the real suffering in human, in, in, in human beings, a, lo a lot of it is unnecessary. Uh, and what you could call it's torment. I just scratched, but I, did, I was mindful. Um, let's see if I can come at this another way. Okay, let's work with heat. Because I think we all know that. Probably everyone in this room is uncomfortable. And maybe you still are. Okay. Uh, an ancient teacher was, you know, in, in, in the monasteries, to this day really, um, they don't have air conditioning and they don't have central heating. So... I can tell you firsthand, you spend a lot of time with cold and you spend a lot of time with heat. If you're in Thailand, it's a lot of heat. If you go to Korea, it's a lot of cold. And so the, this is an exchange that actually happened between a, a teacher and a, and a meditator, a student. And the student says, how can you practice when it's very hot and very cold? Is that, what do you, how do you practice with that? And so the teacher answers, kill hot, kill cold. Doesn't sound very Buddhist to begin with. But, and then over the centuries there have been all these commentaries on it. What, uh, what they amount to is this. It's similar to the two arrows that I just mentioned. That you're hot, that the body is at a certain temperature and that, that that temperature is uncomfortable could be a fact. And unless we can do something about it, like air conditioning, etc., then that's, that's the way it is. But when the teacher said kill hot, what the teacher meant was kill the concept hot kill the concept cold. In other words, there are two colds here and two hots. One is the literal hot and cold that's happening to you. That's a fact. And the other is what the mind makes up about it. Did your minds make up any stories about how it was? Did it have any comparing in it? You know, like, why doesn't he put... All I just would like to finish this train of thought then I'd like to hear what you have to say. Once the mind comes in uh, and creates hot or cold out of it, now, then you have big trouble because that intensifies what's already going on because the ego has come in. Me and mine, it's often referred to. That is, it's appropriated by this sense of self. This hot is happening to me. This cold is happening to me. My, this stiffness in my leg is happening to me. Once you take it personally, then the ego, uh, which is humiliated many times a day anyway, and yet we keep on working for it, full-time, it's our boss, it doesn't, we don't seem to learn that it it's, uh, doesn't know how to be happy, it never will be happy. It's incapable of being completely happy. It's in its nature to be limited, but very brilliant and powerful. So it gets into everything that happens to us, including hot and cold. So then another answer to that was, how do you practice when it's hot and cold? And the answer was, hot Buddha, cold Buddha. Put another way, in the summertime, the, this is the Buddha, right? Mr. Enlightenment. In the summertime, the Buddha sits and sweats. In the wintertime, the Buddha sits and shivers, period. But there's no torment added on to it, which that's the mind piece. Now, what Vipassana meditation can help you with, it 
can't help you with everything in your life. It can do certain things really well. And what the main thing it can do is help you understand your mind, help you let go of what can be let go of, uh, and to save yourself a tremendous amount of unnecessary suffering, which I'm differentiating from pain. I'm making a distinction. The body could be in pain, but the suffering I'm talking about is, is what the mind does about that pain, how it reacts, how it takes it. Then you have torment, which is a little bit different. The pain may be there. You may lose your job. That's a fact, and that's never pleasant. But then there's quite a variation as to what the mind can make up about that. Okay, did you... No, it has nothing to do with thinking. It's become aware of it. Oh, okay. You, the, the method is... is uh, if, I'll get back to... The, let's... nuts and bolts. Okay. Let's take physical pain. Uh, if your body is uncomfortable, right? We've, is there anyone here who has not known some discomfort today? If, if you are, please take over and finish the retreat for me. Okay. So what happens? You're sitting there and suddenly there's throb, 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 or ache, ache, ache in the body. And you're working with the breathing. Okay. Uh, the instructions that I just see, if it's becoming a problem, then you can widen this, the scope of your attention. So you're still with the breathing, but it's just to help you stay. It's kind of a soothing friend, in, out, in, out. But what you turn to is the pain itself, the discomfort, the physical discomfort. And you become aware of that. Now, you're not thinking anything through. You're just observing the raw sensations of just what, of just what we label. Remember, pain is a word, P-A-I-N. And it's a derogatory word for most of us. Once you label something as painful, then it's already the mind is already kicked in and doesn't like it, I hate it, and so forth. But all that's happening is throb, 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 ache, ache, ache. Literally. Okay, so uh, this is something, and if you're new at this, uh, it may be a little while before you're able to, to really test what I'm saying. This is not a, a new belief system for you or a new ideology. It really isn't. It's something to be taken up, tested, and find out if this really helps you with your life. If it doesn't, drop it. All I'm saying is that I and a number of other people have found that it can help. And it's for you, but not to believe me or agree with me, that doesn't give me any satisfaction, but to understand what I'm saying and then to bring it into your own life and see if it really can help you. In order to do that, the next time you have physical pain, uh, you're sitting and breathing and it's becoming a bit much, Turn to the pain itself, to the sensations, as you breathe in and breathe out. Now, I'm not saying there's a magical cure and the pain goes away. Sometimes it does. But that presupposes that your ability to really stay in a steady way with those sensations. And as a beginner, you probably won't be able to do that. You're too new. Your mind is not steady enough, so please be patient. One of the things you're learning on the breath and on the walking is to have this unwavering mind the day comes we are much more able to attend to those sensations. These are unpleasant sensations of the body or the mind. But if your mind is not steady, you'll be washed away by it, and then you'll want to deny it. This is one, of the, one common solution, not everyone. Okay. So 
you're, it, when you're totally with those sensations, you're experiencing ache, ache, or throb, throb. They're just what they are. Granted, none of us would want them. And be sensitive to overdoing it. We're not trying to uh, destroy the body at all. But when you're really attending that way, the, the mind is not thinking about what's happening to it. It's not that you're trying to suppress that. It's that when the mind gets very concentrated, uh, the thinking aspect of uh, the, th the thinking thoughts go into abeyance. Now, if your concentration just weakens a little bit, the thoughts come pouring in, like opening up a portal of a ship, and all the water comes pouring in. And then what, what are the thoughts that come pouring in? Poor me, what's happening here? I hate this. How do I get out of here? I want my money back. This is cruel. You know, all that. Now, all of that, those thoughts, are, they're going to then interact with the physical pain, and then you have something else, torment. That's the second arrow. Okay, same with sleepiness. Same with the heat. Now, I can tell you with the heat that over the years I've been practicing that one a lot, and it has made an enormous difference. In fact, often people hate me because I don't complain when it gets hot or cold. They just can't stand me. My wife is just furious with me because I don't complain. Now, I'm not suppressing it. And when I get to a, if it gets too hot or too cold, then uh, even I'm not wise enough. But I've been doing this for a while, and when it's cold and there's nothing I can do about it, then I'm not making anything extra out of it. I've learned. I've been trained. Or when it's hot. So I'm uncomfortable too. It's just that it's not trouble for me. I don't know if I'm not bragging. I'm trying to tell you something that's it's in your reach. It's not something that's on Mount Olympus or someplace. But it takes understanding, wisdom, understanding how the mind works. Uh, here's an, uh, a way of looking at it that maybe Maybe all these words will just go in one ear and out the other. I know, they're just words. But here's an image that might help you. Let's say you're having physical discomfort. Because that's one that we all need help with. Think of, uh, let's say you love basketball. And you know all the players and you have a gigantic wonderful screen, TV screen. You're sitting in front of it, and you don't need any help. You can see perfectly well what's going on. And of course, it has the sound of what's happening. Okay. But in addition to that, there's someone who's paid handsomely to tell you what's happening. It's called the announcer, right? Okay. So you're watching the game, and the announcer is telling you what's happening. Try this experiment. Turn the announcer off and watch the game. Then turn it back on, You know, depending which team is paying the, paying the bill. His phrase, his intonation, his emotion, his uh, excitement will go along with that. Turn him off, and there's just pure game, pure basketball, tennis, whatever you like. Turn the announcer back on, and you'll see your mind is getting affected by the emotionality and the views of the speaker. And so the outcome is a combination of pure basketball plus what you're being told is happening to you. Okay, who do you think the commentator is? I mean, when I, all I've been saying now is that we have our own commentator. There's this person. Mine is right over my left shoulder for some reason. And sometimes when it's really a pain is when it gets very still and beautiful in meditation, those wonderful times. And suddenly this little voice from over here for some reason says, it's very, very nice and quiet and beautiful and joyful. It's so still. 
It would be if you would be quiet. So it's telling me everything that's happening to me. Now, when it's painful, it really gets into action, and it's telling, and then desperation and so forth about that itch. Do you see what I'm getting at now? All of you, I hope so. Okay, now it's not going to be just hearing me. It's just like a menu statement. You know, you know what's on the menu. You have to start w getting to know yourself. It's an intimate process of self-knowledge. Uh, if the Buddha couldn't do it for you, how can someone like myself do it for you? The Buddha said, Buddhas only point the way. You yourself have to walk the path. This is not five days to anything. The cabin they gave me is nirvana. You know, and maybe you can register next time and get nirvana, but that isn't it. It's not a bad little cabin, but it's not nirvana. Yeah. Often. Well, see it, hear it, hear it for what it is. It, yeah. But there's no violence in it. In other words, there's even you could say there's compassion in it. Yeah. Compassion for yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of wondering if there's anything else to to do with it. To, oh, it's okay. Yeah, it's yeah. just really listen. Really listen. As you really listen, you know, if you listen to a child, it's not that different. You know, uh, you're listening to that and you... It, it, now, sometimes it gives you good help, doesn't it? It's very intelligent, therefore. But how to tell the difference? Do that. Get that. Go away. Sit still. Don't, some of it is, is not helpful, and some of it is. So uh, self-knowledge, in part, is understanding the mind so that we, under, we do have a deep, innate wisdom. I mean, all the spiritual traditions agree on that. But uh, if that were just true, then why would planet Earth look the way it does? We're all just these incredibly wise people walking around. Instead, it's a battlefield. We're not in touch with it. We, we are not, we're very far away from it often. Okay. So as you get to know yourself, that's part of what getting to know yourself means, is you begin to really understand your mind, your mind. I can't do it for you. You're the only one who can do it. You have to become intimate with yourself. And as you're more and more able to do that, it's so obvious the things that are, uh, don't work, that produce suffering, that cause suffering to you and to others, they start losing their potency when you begin to know them. We, we call that beginning to know wisdom. Okay, we're laying the groundwork, the simple, don't underestimate the simple in-out, in-out breath stuff. Because that's helping you put the mind in a condition where it can do what I'm talking about. The natural starting point of the mind is pretty wild and unable to do what I'm saying. And so we're trying to help the mind. With training, the mind can become a very, very different kind of mind. It can become fit so that you can really get to know yourself, not, not just as some uh, fanciful ideology. Most universities, you know, on there, some building or another, always say the truth unto its inner self-knowledge. I know Harvard has one, I've forgotten what. Uh, what is thy, know thyself, what is man, uh, that thou art mindful of him. Everyone believes in self-knowledge, every culture, but there are not long lines of people queuing up to do it. It's sort of you do it. Well, it's up to you, it's your choice, but that's really the heart of insight meditation. It's giving you tools to become concentrated, to become calm, to become peaceful. But those are to help you to go deeper and to understand yourself and understand how you're actually living. That's the message of the Buddha. The freedom comes from seeing, from deep seeing, not from trying to get free.
which is just another struggle. Any other questions? Or yes. Yes. Yes and no. Sure, I'm sorry. I was asked to do that and I didn't. Um, if you have a particular tendency to get tired, what do you do about that? And you sound you sound not so happy about that tendency. Yeah. Okay. Right. You what get what? Sleepy? Yeah, and then I go I understand. Okay, you shouldn't really, should you? I mean, because you're a meditator, you should be awake 24 hours a day. <laughs> the Buddha's called the awakened one, and here you are blowing Z's there. But the fact is, you're sleepy, right? So one thing that can ha Okay, dull, whatever language you like. Okay? It's going to get worse if you let me talk. <laughs> Look, um, one of the things that can help, it's not the only thing, is to not make a problem out of it. See, because then you're suffering because you're feeling sleepy. You get disappointed in yourself? No? Do you? Disappointed in how you're using the retreat? And, oh gosh, I came here to practice be mindfulness and here I am, just very... Stuff like that. Okay, so some of it is to see through that. Okay, now, in terms of the, the, the dullness or sleepiness quality of the mind, all of us have that. In fact, if you look carefully, a lot of the day is spent either agitated way over here or dull, agitated, dull, agitated, dull. Uh, okay. Surely there got to be some other places to be, you know. Uh, there are. I mean, the main one, of course, is clear, clear and steady. Okay. But when you're, uh, when the mind is sleepy, we have to understand why is it sleepy. Uh, and so sometimes you might investigate. For example, you might be sleepy because you didn't have enough sleep. That's simple. Then get some sleep. Well, I'm having a hard time sleeping. Okay, then see someone about it. You know, uh, or use some of the, some herbal remedy or something to help you sleep. But let's say, okay, that's ruled out. It's just because I came in late. Let's say it's this retreat. Or another common one, which is can be remedied, is overeating. If you've had a night and the food here is so delicious, so it's a kind of entrapment. You know, we go up there, and who can resist that? Deli for me, it's delicious anyway. Uh, and then all the blood's down here, digesting the food, and you don't have enough up in the brain. Okay, so at least while you're on retreat, practice moderation in eating. Okay, but those those two are kind of easy they're when they're clear. Find ourselves sleepy, kind of subconsciously, we're taken care of. Something in us uh, puts us out so we don't have to look at it. But if you keep doing this practice, it gets harder and harder to, to do that. Okay. Now, otherwise, I don't know. There may be uh, reasons having to do with your physical health, you know, in terms of metabolism and circulation and so forth. So uh, the cure is not always just meditation. Sometimes we need to uh, draw upon external help. Maybe you need more exercise. Maybe you need more deep breathing. Many people get sleepy because they're not breathing properly. Okay, so I'm not ruling that out. All of these things can help. 
But what meditation can help you with is starting to understand now that. Now let's say you're starting to get dull, sleepy. This is one that's hard to follow. It's easier for me to say than for us to do. When you're starting to feel the dull mind is there, right? Let's say that mind is dull. And you're trying to be with the breath, but you can't because it's so dull. Okay, then what I would suggest is at least try, open it up and be mindful of the dullness itself. That is, feel, what does that mean? It means the shoulders are slumping over. It means the eyelids feel heavy. It means, dullness means the, the mind is getting uh, disappointed. So uh, there's, there's something rich there to practice with. And sometimes you wake up. Now, there are other antidotes in the Buddhist tradition. There's one, one that I use a lot, but I don't recommend it until you've been practicing for a while or you've had training in this, and that's death awareness. Um, if I'm on retreat and I see that it isn't eating and it isn't not enough sleep and all of that, and I'm sleepy and I really want to keep practicing, again, there's a time to go to sleep, of course. I forgot to mention that one. Sometimes it's just intelligent to just, for goodness sakes, go to sleep. Okay, I'm assuming that it isn't one of those times. What I do, there's a, a form of meditation that you can learn, uh, is where you contemplate your own death now while you're alive. It's not an exercise in morbidity or trying to bring yourself down or anything of the sort. It's an exercise in reality. And it helps you appreciate your life much more to the degree to which you can grasp the obvious truth that that all of us will, we, no, we, none of us will be here forever. There are ways of uh, that obvious fact becoming more vivid to you. And as a result, it awakens energy. Uh, it also uh, helps you appreciate how precious life is. And suddenly there's much more energy when you realize you don't have forever. Now, if you're a practitioner and if you love this practice, uh, if you've been doing it for a while, then some of that precious quality is, is transferred to the, your sense of the practice. You realize that I don't have forever to wake up. And so sometimes the mind, it's amazing how resourceful the mind can be. And if all this fails, I would just say, go to sleep, for goodness sake. Yeah. Please? Yeah, we said that this morning. That, Yes, no, no tricks. You know, the real wisdom has no tricks in it, really. There are tricks that we use when we, we're pretty desperate. But, it's, yes, I would examine it. Now, that doesn't happen so often, although it happens more often than it's reported, I think. Uh, when you close your eyes, some people, have to, for example, we'll do some standing meditation sometime, maybe tomorrow or the day after. And to begin with, people will feel as if they're falling over. Is that what happened to you? I understand. Okay, that's simple, that's common. Uh, you can, after a while, you can learn how to adjust to that. Open your eyes just en enough and continue your mindfulness of breathing in the standing posture. But to begin with, it's, it's, uh, um, the, there's something psychophysiological 
that we become disoriented with. It doesn't last long. Within a short time, you'll learn how to stand in a very stable way with your eyes closed. But, it, but should that not be the case, just open your eyes a little bit. Yeah, and it is common. That, that is common. Please. Then uh, you, must you stay standing, or can you sit back no. down when you wake up more? Uh, when you, if you want to resume sitting after you wake up more, that's fine. Yeah. Sure. Please. Yes. You know, there are many what we call skillful reflections. What you're, what you're doing uh, is uh, a kind of what, uh, what the Buddha calls skillful reflection, where you use th the mind itself to reflect on what's happening, uh, to ease that situation. And that can help. For example, a simple reflection like, what is an itch anyway? You know, if you really listen to, we, don't we all, is an itch really that serious? But we have no practice in putting up with discomfort. Our culture is extreme. Okay. But sometimes the simple reflection, sort of like, this is an itch, isn't it? And reflecting on the obvious that you don't have to be carted away to the hospital as a result of it. And suddenly the mind has a good laugh at its own expense. It's still not so much fun because you want to scratch. But a lot of the potency falls out. That can be a useful thing to do. Uh, why is it a rationalization? See, but it depends on what the thought is. That's what I. Uh, this is. Um, there are many sources of help. I would say the most important source of help is the direct perception. Okay, but sometimes on the way to that, we use skillful thinking to help us get there. Do you see what I? Yeah. No, just the itch itself, or either one. Directly listening to the mind, or another way to do it is go right it, just really feel that itch. It's quite interesting. See what happens. It'll just kind of get intense and intense and then reach almost a crescendo, and then it kind of falls away, and uh, it's nothing. Of course, this is happening anyway. It's just that uh, the observation enables you to, to move with it, and that changes things. Please. I'm sorry. I, I can't hear you. I'm so Okay. Gotcha. Okay, so then what is your obvious meditation? Panic. Just see how miserable you are and panicky and how nothing will work for me. Everyone in this room is probably in, out there, you know, just uh, bliss. And I'm the only one just, uh, and I'm, I knew I, it's not for me. I'm just going to go back to. Um, 
that can be, you see now, in one sense, that's a problem. But there's a saying in meditation circles. A bad situation is a good situation. But it's only if you're really willing to, to work with it. If you work with a bad situation, this, this would be one, right? There's so much energy frozen in that, in that state because you're desperate, you're despondent, you're discouraged, that if you're able to, instead of either denying it, pushing it down, or escaping it in any number of ways, instead just opening to it and letting the panic flower. I'm intentionally using a good a word that we like. We think flower should flower, right? But we don't think panic should flower. We want panic to go away. But let it panic. Let it be. And there you are, softly, kindly, because after all, it's you and you. The panic didn't drop from a cloud. It's your relationship to yourself in that moment. And so you soften and you... A lot of what we're learning here is how to establish a new relationship to yourself, friendly one, even to those states that you detest, like panic or discouragement or self-loathing. They're all mind states. They arise, they pass away, they're impermanent, and they, they lack any real solidity. But you only can find that out and then be released from, con from their control over you if you're willing to look at them carefully and listen to them. So then sometimes what can come out of panic is uh, a lot of energy is freed and there you are. First of all, if you can start, stay with the panic and try to m be mindful of it, that's good practice. People think that uh, if you ask in interviews, how is your practice going? Oh, just great. I was very peaceful, very calm. I love this practice. Just uh, wonderful. Yeah, that's good. And when that happens, we're all happy, of course. But if someone comes in and said, I just had panic for 10 minutes. I said, well, were you able to move with it? In other words, to, the word panic is just a word for energy, right? It's a certain kind of energy. It's not pleasant energy. And I was really mindfully moving with that energy of panic. That's very good practice. And I wouldn't say that's less valuable than having a peaceful, calm, blissful state. Because if you can begin to learn how to relate to these bad situations, then uh, that's a, a giant step in practice. Turns out they're not really bad. They're just what they are. I know if some of you are beginning, this may sound uh, cryptic or be patient. You know, it's actually a very concrete experience that grows out of practice. Well, you see, and maybe we ought to end here, that whatever turns up, it's workable. It's really workable. But uh, I'll leave it at that. Could we have a few moments of silence, please? I don't know. I, what do you think? Can we leave our belongings here? I think so. We'll be doing a bit more sitting, be a little bit more silence and more instruction, walking and so forth today. Uh, anything on your mind that uh, may be left over from yesterday, either the sitting and walking or what's happened in, during your attempt to practice uh, in, what, in the, what you could call the daily life aspect of being here. Please. It's extremely difficult? Yeah. 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 
Yes, yes. Yes. Um, believe it or not, I've had some experience with some of that, uh, especially, uh, okay, it's not important. You don't need to hear my biography. Okay. Um, it's difficult to do. That is, you're walking around being silent in a world of talkers, right? And they, they take a look at that, and even if they honor it, uh, what bothers you? Do you know? Can you put your finger? Ah, okay. See, if you're not going to practice with your reactions, then it isn't worth it, because you're going to be exhausted, and the practice will be quite dreary for you. That's what I mean. A bad situation is a good situation. Remember that? Uh, it only becomes a good situation if you know how to turn it around. If you don't, it's, of course, it's just uh, going to be drudgery for you, coping, putting up with, and tiring. So if we could just act that out, um, you're walking along, feeling nice and peaceful, and suddenly you see uh, a couple skipping across the campus with a tennis racket, you know, canoe, uh, etc. right? They stop and they give each other a kiss, and there are you, like this. <laughs> That's not easy. Yeah. Okay, so you see it, you feel envy, resentment, this is stupid, I'm missing out on this. That's what you practice with. So that you feel, you see how your, uh, your, what your reaction is. Now, if you do that, it starts to get weaker. You start to, if you can, if you, and your reflexes become much more rapid. And so if you do that, um, it's extraordinarily valuable practice because I don't know you, but let's say you get interested in this meditation, form of meditation. Uh, all of us go back to a world which is predominantly filled with people who do not meditate, and they do not care. And so it's going to be too loud. It's going to be too much going on. Uh, if you're a vegetarian, everyone's eating meat. Uh, if you want peace, everyone is uh, for having Star War defense system. Uh, so. Uh, the world is going to keep rolling on, so in that sense, it's a, a good practice, but it's a difficult one, and how new are you to these things? Yeah, that's, that's new. L let me ask you, why do you want to maintain silence throughout the day? Are you clear on that? No, exactly. Okay. Um, let me give you another hint. Um, and this would be, apply to all of us. Uh, what's the difference between sound and noise? If you could just play with that for a moment. All of us. But, what? Yeah. Yes. So what's happening is not only are you, you're silent and everyone is making sounds, right? And it probably sounds like blah, blah, blah to you. Uh, so the mind quickly goes, it doesn't want it to be there. Ideally, everyone here should be in silence, all of us, walking around, etc. But that would be nice, but it isn't the way it is. So uh, when you hear the mind turning sound into noise, it's a clue that you're setting up some opposition. Finally, uh, it's a very simple idea, which, I, which is important for all of us during the remaining days here, and I hope it's helpful for you beyond. 
uh, life keeps being exactly the way it is. Have you noticed? Uh, and it's going to insist on being exactly the way it is all the time. It's, that doesn't change. And so our mind is very often taken up with the way things should be, the way they used to be, but now they're not, or they are, they're this way, but why can't they be that way? And uh, the, the starting point of the practice is what is, the way it is. So the way it is here is that people are living a, a, a rather more extroverted life, perfectly normally, enjoying themselves, enjoying a nice summer, speaking and so forth. And you have elected to put yourself in silence, so they're not really assaulting you. You're assaulting them, if you want to look at it more, because that's, it's okay, they're not doing anything illegal. But as you begin to see the ways of the mind, uh, and you come to relax in the way it is, the way it is that people are going to keep talking, keep holding hands, uh, look like they're having a good time, and so forth. I mean, having a good time, <laughs> okay, and also looking it. Um, so once you can get comfortable with that, then the mind won't waste a lot of time and energy, which often we're not so aware of, is comparing, where it shouldn't be this way, and it's usually self-centered, because you're doing a retreat, you don't want, you want people to stop talking. So once you start learning about this, it's invaluable. Is the principle clear? Okay, what do you think you're going to do? Okay. <laughs> so I've confused you even more. All right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I would use that as the guideline. Okay, please. Yeah, I had a, a similar kind of experience with what share. Um, I went to the silent part of the cafeteria last night, and needless to say, three people sat at the next table talking. And my first thought was, you know, right here in my privacy. And then I realized that's just like me to get pissed off at that. And um, then I realized there was this extraordinary background noise of everybody another 30 feet away and outside on the porch. And I realized it was simply a matter of space. Mm -hmm. that they were about 10 feet too close for me, and I was going to make this my issue. Um, and so all of a sudden, I was able to just simply come back to my eating, which is a real problem anyway, because like, as usual, I had three slices of pizza and ate mindlessly, all the while, you know, kind of concerned about their talking. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's, it sounds like, you know, you were moving in a way to help yourself. You kind of a homemade remedy, that's not bad, what you did, you're kind of talking yourself out of it a little bit, yeah. Uh, but it was worse for me, uh, because I sat down in the silent area, and then at the next table, one of the teachers who agreed with me that we should have a silent area starts talking <laughs> to someone else. And some, a staff person comes over and very sweetly says, you know, this is a silent area, points to the sign. And this person goes, I won't say who it is. And this person goes, oh, yeah, thank you very much. As soon as the staff person leaves, they start talking again. <laughs> so you can imagine what my mind was doing. Because <laughs> we agreed to this whole idea. We we're the ones who created this Frankenstein. Okay. Uh, so what, do you, what to do? Uh, again, you can't... Uh, the mind just happens. It's not as if we really own our mind. Maybe legally we do. But other than that, uh, do you know what's going to come out of your mind in a few seconds? I don't, for myself. So they do what they did. They're talking. And what comes out of you comes out of you, whether you've been meditating a thousand years or never meditated at all. If I prick you with a pin, you bleed. It's a normal reaction. 
you know, for you right now. It may change as you, if you keep practicing. But, um, but what we can do is change the way we relate to how we're reacting. And that's the whole key, really. So that now you turn to the fact that you're bothered. The being bothered by it is not an obstacle to the meditation. It is the meditation. So you're aware of how you don't have to start talking yourself out of it, which is kind of manual labor. I mean, you're working too hard. Just gently sit there. You don't have to assume a special attitude or position. You, you can even keep eating. But what you are, you're in touch with the feeling. The body becomes contracted. Uh, the face suddenly becomes, you know, the muscles get tight. The eyes narrow. Uh, you know, if we had measures, you'd see the pulse changes, the heart rate changes, etc. So it's quite palpable. You've changed because they did what they did. And it's an impersonal reaction. You can't help yourself. We're all conditioned. And we do that. But what you can do is intervene in a very gentle way and observe how you're doing it. It's not a criminal offense. It's just the way it is. The way it is is that you want them to honor silence, which is correct. Okay. Now, here's where a bad situation is a good situation. I'm getting ahead of ourselves a bit. Because you were right in this case. So was I, right? They shouldn't be talking. I mean, uh, the other situation, I can't find you. There you are, okay. Uh, it was legal. People are allowed to talk and, and run around, you know, okay. But here, this isn't legal. They're not supposed to be doing that. Okay, so it's even more valuable because then the self-righteousness comes in, right? You know, you know, so, and you can really feel the ego is right out front to observe it. There's no place for it to hide. I'm honoring this. I'm a good meditator. I'm sitting here, and they should know, but they can read. And, and here I'm, I, 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 and me, 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 my silent period, my meal. And there they go, violating it. So it's a good opportunity to study uh, egomaniacality, you know, on, our, on ourselves. Yeah. So, but it's only if you're up to that. Yeah. Because if you're not, then drop the whole silence thing and move over to the other side of the building, of the hall. Yeah. Please. Oh, excuse me. And you can use the breath. Please don't leave the breath here. I mean, the conscious breathing here. You can use the breath to help. It's like a, a soothing, strong, good friend. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. So the breath helps stabilize you. It helps keep you in the moment. It helps uh, minimizes you getting all uh, uh, taken away by it. All of, for all of us throughout the day, turn to the breath from time to time. There was someone else for yes. Internalize the silence. Yeah, <clears throat> I would say yes and no to that. Uh, it's one way. Now, I have to be clear as to what you mean by internalize the silence. Uh, because it could become attached to silence. In other words, well, you have a particular state that you want to exist, to sustain itself. And if so, uh, you're still, there's still some, somewhat of a struggle. That is, you're still not liking how it is, and you have a way that you want to be, and they're going to be in a tussle with each other. But if the silence is genuine, see, it's not a matter of will. When the practice gets deeper, it just doesn't bother you because the silence is established. For us, at the beginning, the silence is fragile. And as soon as we walk out of the hall and a bird chirps and it's gone, you know. But later on, 
you live more in silence. Silence is not reserved for these special periods. More and more the uh, action uh, flows out of the silence. So, but on the way, here's, let me give you an example, see if this is what you're getting at. They're both reasonable responses to a situation, but I think one, you can learn something that is in the long run more valuable. This happened some years ago. A few of us went into a, uh, a uh, there was supposed to be a concert at a kind of restaurant in Northampton or someplace, Amherst. And we, have, we were on, we, the retreat had just ended, a long one, and so we were very sensitive. And it was the beginnings of making our way back into uh, everyday life. And it was incredibly loud, full of smoke, uh, everything. It was just chaotic. And, we were, and so there were different responses to that. One response is just to close your eyes and go into your practice. In a sense, you uh, drop off that, all of that because you become internalized. It sounds like you were a little in that direction. Okay, so what you're doing is you're uh, cutting yourself off from what's happening and you create a safe harbor for yourself, perhaps using the breath. And it's useful to have that skill. There are times in life where it's very, very handy. So I'm not saying it's not useful. There's another skill that you can develop, which I think is uh, both are, are fine. So I'm not saying don't develop this. The other skill is you don't close your eyes, you don't go into your safe harbor, but you just are a full participant in this a chaotic restaurant. It's not really chaotic. They're just having a good time, and for us it was. And you watch how it bothers you. And in the watching of how it bothers you, uh, you little by little let go of your being bothered. And so now uh, you're developing a skill which enables you to be more of a, a normal person, living in life as it is and not being pushed around by the way things are, which are almost always not going to be the way we want them to be. So both are useful. Please. Oh, I'm sorry. You're next. Yes. My question is, I, I think I understand what you're saying about external events that create issues and then we have responses. And I'm fully aware of my body's response, my heart rate, muscle tension, contraction, all that. Then the question is, is when I start to observe it, I don't become one. I think it's worse. Like I'll say, gee, you know, I know my pulse rate's going up. I know my 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 Yeah. What kind of methodology would I use? No, it's not a special method. It's that uh, what you're doing is you're observing in order to get a result. That's what it sounds like. In other words, because you're observing, saying, well, it hasn't changed yet. Oh, it hasn't. Still, pulse rate is getting worse. Uh, observing in order, it's like an avoidance of what's going away. But once I external, I say, okay, i But I'm saying something slightly different. Uh, you're observing and you, wa- uh, you want the observation to be helping you out because you heard mindfulness, blah, blah, blah. Mindfulness cures everything. It doesn't, you know. Okay, but here's, I want to make that clear. The art of observation that we're learning is really an art, and I could say just be mindful of it, and everyone will nod. We're all intelligent, educated. We, we think we're doing it. But as an art, it takes a while to learn because the art of mindfulness uh, has no gaining idea in it, none. It's not for or against what it's being mindful of. In other words, it's not invested in the results. Yes, because typically at the beginning, it's very hard to avoid this. We aim the awareness at the problem like a, like a machine gun. You know, like I've aimed it. They said awareness is very helpful. You know, when you're lonely, when you're agitated, okay. And you aim your awareness at it, and maybe it gets worse or something else happens. 
but you're doing it to kind of um, get a result, to cure yourself of something. So it isn't true observation. True observation is total attention with no, you're not for or against what you're attending to. See, now, it's like a clear mirror. The ancient image of it is, is mirror mind. A mirror is not for, let's say you put a noisy group in front of it, it reflects noisy. Take that away and put some meditators sitting, vegetarian meditators, non-smokers sitting very quietly there. It shows that. So can, the, the mind has that capacity to get that clear. It's a, a quality of mind. It, it's non-judgmental. Now, to begin with, we're, our mindfulness is mixed in with lots of thinking. Lots of I want and I don't want. I like and I don't like. When is it going to go away? Shoulds and shouldn'ts and so forth. But, so it's an art that has to be refined and it takes some time. But is the principle clear? Now, you see, sometimes it does get worse. Sometimes it does get worse. But it's not really worse. It's that the awareness is going deeper into the way it is. For example, uh, recently my father died a few months ago. And I learned a lot about the art of, of uh, mindfulness to grieving. And when I was really practicing, the grieving was much deeper. Now, would you say that's worse? I wouldn't say it's worse. It's truer. I was able to really feel the grief. Whereas before, I was edging towards it. I thought I was doing this practice correctly. But it turns out a corner of my mind was still... Um, there was me in it, a bit of self-pity, a bit of uh, concern for my father and so forth. So the, the art of observation was not being completely carried out. And finally, there was one particular sitting where I was 100% just open to the loss. And it got much worse, in quotes. It's not worse. What I did is I felt the loss completely. And it ran its natural course and it left and then there was tremendous peace of a certain kind. Yeah. You want a guarantee or, uh, yeah, warranty, what? In order for that to be something later on, one starts with the initial. So in this, these things occur like that. Galen Fass was saying she kind of internalizes the silence. Other people might choose to go to breathing. Yeah, but you see, the breathing can accompany you in any case. You can use the breathing to withdraw from reality. You can also use the breathing to help you be more present in reality. Okay, I, I don't want to go too much more into the daily life part because I'd like us to sit, but I think this will be a hint as to how to use conscious breathing for the rest of the, five, the four days that we have here. Um, supposing you're, let's say you're on a train and you have a, a, an hour, hour and a half ride, and you sit, and it can be pretty much like a meditation retreat because you have nothing to do. You're just sitting and you can close your eyes or not. There's nothing asked of you except to know when to get off. Okay? So you don't have, you're not responsible for the external world, hardly at all. But then at other times, you're, so, and you can be with your breathing. And that can take you very deep, deeply inside and bring calm and so forth. But at other times, the breath can be used uh, uh, to help you in the middle of action. For example, in... Uh, I couldn't possibly give you individual interviews. There are too many of you and there's not enough of me. Uh, but let's say often we give interviews on retreats, individual interviews, and sometimes it's a long line of people we're seeing one after the other. And in order to be fresh, 
one person leaves, I'm lightly in touch with my breath as I'm listening to the person who comes in for the interview. And that helps cut down on a lot of unnecessary thinking. The breath helps keep me fresh, but I'm not using the breath to hide, in a sense, from the person who's coming in. In this case, the breath is really in the background, and you learn how to do it, or it's coexisting with it, but it's subordinated to the person. After all, what is being asked is, I really listen, and the breath can help me really listen. Uh, at other times, there's nothing to do in the outer world, like when we sit here, and then you can use the breath as a more um, to help you become absorbed in silence. Yeah. Okay. I think you're going to have to speak up. I think the issue is that all of us have in order to mind very strongly conditioned in us. Do you know what I mean by in order to mind? Everything is in order to get something else. I'll do A, but it better lead to B. Ideally, we should ought to get from A to Z, skip out all those other letters. So our mind has been trained. It's very calculating. And uh, it's into the logistics of acquisition a lot. And so I'll do, the, I'll do walking meditation in order to get calm. And I, you know, we even, I even say things which would be a, a, a reasonable conclusion for you to make. But uh, the practice is learning how to get from A to A. Now you might say, what is he talking about? I'm, if I'm an A, I'm already an A. But you're not, because while you're an A, part of the mind's on B. So you're not, so, and then when you get to B, the mind is on E or F or whatever. And so uh, you're walking, you're very used to uh, setting a purpose, and that gives you the energy to do something. Because then when I get there, that's where fulfillment, nirvana will be where I, when I get there. Look at all these people uh, racing on the road with cars, or all these bumper stickers. I'd rather be golfing, I'd rather be fishing, I'd rather be swimming. I'd rather, everyone would rather be doing something else. Now I see a kind of new age, I'd rather be, it's not exactly phrased, where I am, be here now, you know, it's sort of coming to that. But either people have bumper stickers which are somewhere else, or they're tuning out the environment with earphones, watching TV with, now with two kind of programs you can watch, one up in the corner, uh, and the power of the, the stick uh, to go channel surfing. Somehow uh, the casualty is the present moment. And all we have in life, all we ever have had, and all we ever will have is the present moment. There's only now. It's an interesting reflection for you to make. It's a very profound one, to get back to something like the walking. So you set for yourself, I'm going to go from this tree to that. Let's say it's about 25 paces. That's fine. And then let it go. Now, when it comes up in the mind, just see it. Uh, or it may set up other more ambitious goals, like I want to go to the uh, cafe. I don't want to walk from this tree to this tree. But w what was your mind saying to itself? Exactly. Yeah, the problem is... I understand. Can you hear that the problem is in breath or non-breath or a special way to step or a special way to keep your posture? The problem is that your mind uh, derives meaning from that way of looking at things. Now, here's, it's a subtle, another aspect of this art of, of living mindfully. Everything, in a sense, is a means and an end at the same time. Now, in this case, there really isn't. It's not a particular accomplishment of transportation, right? Going from one tree back and forth. 
and nothing much comes of it. Uh, the point is not getting from one tree to the next. The point is staying awake from one moment to the next. And each moment is the only moment and the most precious moment that you have. That's what we're learning. But we're doing it in motion. Do you see what I'm getting at? Now, when your old mind throws up that mode of in order to, I'm not saying that's bad. Some, a lot of things in life get done by that motive. Just see it, hear it, have a good laugh. Uh, but the question is, are you fully in touch with how it is for you right here and right now? That's the heart of our training. And you'll see the mind has had a lot of training, which is be there then. You know, it's, it's never where it is. It's always golfing or, or whatever. Okay. I think we, we uh, is any of it about, let's, uh, is it about the sitting and walking? Let's make a transition to that. It's a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're not trying to eradicate your artistic uh, temperament or uh, talent. Uh, but first of all, remember I said be careful when you go outside because it is beautiful and uh, you, you're apt to want to, uh, in a sense, dance to too many tunes. You know, or have too many masters that you're trying to follow. Uh, you're here to, to learn this insight meditation. We don't have very much time, really. Um, nature is beautiful, and it's wonderful to go out and to be in nature. But if it's going to be a problem, then I think you are better off inside. But let's say you decide to go outside. Then my answer is the same as for everything else. It's not to stamp out that uh, inclination that you have, is but to see it. So that, let's say you're doing walking meditation. Walking, and then you're walking, and then suddenly a rock, is, or a very beautifully shaped stone is in front of you. And suddenly the mind generates a potential painting. Okay, and then it'll go there, and you, and you, but you're not doing walking meditation at that point. You're fantasizing or imagining. So just like any other distraction, it's not a, better or worse. You're trying to do the walking, but your mind is somewhere else. You see it very gently disengage from it, and you return to just the walking and the breathing. Please. Yesterday, during the uh, afternoon session, there was a cricket that was uh, buzzing outside. And I, I had this feeling that I could really sort of meditate just on that sound. So mm -hmm. I could myself fall into that. Because I'm learning the breathing, I kept coming back to the breathing and dulling uh, and not attending to the sound. I wonder, would it have been appropriate for me to say, Okay, here's the opportunity. I will just focus yeah. 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 Certainly, it would. But for right now, we're le we, the object we've selected is the breath. So there are many other things that you can attend to. In fact, we're, we're going to start to open up a little bit today. Uh, by tomorrow, if you are sitting and let's say the uh, the cricket sound gets really loud, while you're breathing in and breathing out, you can expand so that you're uh, you just become one giant ear just an ear sitting on your, your chair. And you're really listening to the cushion, and the breath is part of that unified field of listening. But right now, we've set a, a different 
goal for ourselves. So it's a very wonderful distraction, just like the beauties of nature. But yes, hearing is an, a, a, another way to get very calm and concentrated. Also to study the law of impermanence, which we'll be doing a little bit later. Yeah, is it about the sitting and walking? Okay. For what? For sitting? Yeah. You know, I've been with many t different teachers in all the three main Buddhist traditions, and they all have very convincing arguments about eyes open, halfway open, closed. Uh, th uh, the best place for the breath is the belly. No, it's the chest. No, it's up here. And I've listened to uh, some wonderful teachers over the years, and my conclusion is that they're all right. Everyone is correct. Well, the same, the hand there. Look, some of you have asked me why I, I'm doing the walking meditation with you. Uh, and some of you ask me why I walk this way. I have, I'm holding my... Uh, it's just tradition. In the Thai forest tradition where I was trained, they'd, now they say the Buddha walked that way. I don't know, you know. <laughs> if I was there, I don't remember it. Um, but they have... But one thing, some form, uh, it does seem to help you stay concentrated, to have the, the hands clasped. And Zen, they'll do it like this sometimes, or like that. So we just walk... Uh, just the arms are just hanging naturally and clasped. Um, but if you had to ask me why I do it, it's just a form, it's tradition. Um, I think it helps me a little bit to get concentrated. What I would do is find it, what I have discovered, it's not just my opinion, having worked with a fair number of people, that there's such individual variation that some people do much better with their eyes open or not totally open, some with uh, their eyes closed. Some with the breath at the tummy, some here, some here, nose, chest. So I think part of your job is to find out what works for you. What uh, the teachers say is that if you uh, sit with your eyes closed, you'll spend all your time fantasizing and sleeping. But I don't, and I've always sat with my eyes closed, except when I've tried the other way. Uh, but the people with the eyes closed school, they'll say, well, if you keep your eyes open, you're going to get very restless and distracted. But many of my friends who sit like to sit with their eyes half open, uh, they don't have that problem. So I think you'll have to settle on what really helps you. Yeah. Now, if you're getting very sleepy, sometimes it can help to open your eyes a little bit, yes. Okay, okay why don't we uh, stretch and wiggle, and, and then we'll have a sitting. pick up where, from where we left off yesterday. The very same instructions. Sitting erect, relaxing the body. Um, some of you are sitting too flush on your cushions, so it's has a tendency to cut off circulation in your thighs. Uh, if you have a meditation cushion, and for some people that's a big help, sit on the, approximately the first quarter of it. So just your sitting bones, be comfortable, but you'll see there's more space between the surface that you're sitting on and your thighs. 
that can help. If you're sitting right smack in the middle, taking up your whole cushion, if you sit for any length of time, that increases, uh, decreases your circulation. So once again, we're, whether your eyes are open, closed, coming back to our old friend, the breathing once again. Seeing nature at work in ourselves. We're learning to allow the breath to assume its own rhythm, its own quality. We're learning how to allow that to happen, not to control the breathing but rather to surrender to the breath as it is. Being with the in-breath and the out-breath as continuously as we can, and from time to time when our attention slips off the breath, if you recall when we notice that, we ease back without any blame to the in-breath and to the out-breath. This is called shamatha, or sometimes it's called when it develops samadhi. Enabling the mind to enter into a state of serenity and stability, to be concentrated and calm. There's also a certain amount of peace and joy that comes with a concentrated mind, quite a bit in fact. But I'd like to modify the instruction just slightly. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.